Hello and welcome back to the show. So I'm super excited for our guest today. And we are going to be talking all about the benefits of investing in multifamily real estate and some of the details that goes into building a multifamily real estate portfolio as well. So before we kind of get started here, I just want to quickly introduce my guest. His name is Drew Brenneman. And interesting fact about him, he started his first business at age 14. And uh, if you guys know a little bit about me, uh, you know, I started my business as young as well. So I really resonate with that. But he purchased his first rental properties at 19 years old and even appeared on HGTV. So Drew, I'm really excited to have you on the show. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. I just want to say uh, welcome to the show. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, absolutely. So just right off the bat, right? So you started your first business at 14. You were obviously very successful in business, you know, at a young age. So kind of walk us through that story of how you, you know, were tinkering with different businesses and the, you know, kind of like in your, you know, childhood days, if you will, and how that led to becoming, you know, a successful multifamily, you know, real estate mogul. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I don't know, I'm still trying to work towards a uh, mogul status, maybe. But um, yeah, it's really more just, uh, yeah, it really came natural to me where, um, I mean, I don't, I would have been way younger than 14. But even like I was uh, playing some instruments for my parents and my uh, uh, sister was also doing it as well. And, you know, the way my mind worked was, okay, we should be charging admission to this uh, concert that I'm putting on as like a six-year-old, uh, you know, so they, they paid whatever I asked, you know, a quarter or something, you know, for fun. But um, yeah, you know, that it was just kind of always like kind of coming naturally. And that, I think that the first business when I was 14, what happened was we were at a wedding and uh, one of my relatives, their best friend was a magician, like a, like a real one who does it professionally. And he taught me a couple tricks and, uh, they were really good. And I got into performing magic and started doing kids parties. So that was really the first, um, the first like, uh, entrepreneur, you know, entrepreneurial endeavor that I did, um, you know, where I started like going outside the house, so to speak and doing it. So, and then I came into, you know, really what kind of got me going in real estate is I started a business in in high school where I was buying and selling items in online video games. So I didn't play these games, but really all my friends did. Um, and they were, you know, they, they'd play the game, then they'd sell their items for real money. And I heard about that. And I was like, this sounds really interesting not to play the game, but just to um, make money from it. So I invested, a, you know, $20 or something. I bought um, an armor set or whatever it was, a bow and arrow. <laughs> and um, and I went out and I, I resold it for more. And I was kind of off and going ever since uh, with that business. And over the course of like the next four years from say like freshman year of high school, the freshman year of college, I I'd had thousands of transactions where I'd come home every day and I have, you know, 20, 30 sales uh, that I made on eBay or just directly to past customers. And then I'd make my deliveries, I'd do my homework. Uh, so it was really like just like one small little thing at a time. And then I started, um, uh, you know, saving up the money and figuring out what should I do with it. So and that that's when I found out about real estate, you know, I was reading all these investing books that, you know, people they, um, they probably read when they're like in their 40s, you know, rich dad, poor dad, intelligent investor, think and grow rich. You know, I read all those books when I was like 16 and 17. And so then um, I really liked real estate investing from what I had um, had read. And I've been kind of fighting this cough this week. So sorry about that with the clearing the throat. But um, 
so I really liked real estate investing. I was reading a book by Gary Eldred. I think it's just called real estate investing. And they broke down just real simply how you make money in real estate, the four ways, cash flow, paying your loan down, appreciation, uh, the tax breaks you get. And just kind of hearing that, like the light bulb really went off or this is a, you know, make money slow kind of, kind of combination of investment and business that you'd have a lot more control in versus like the stock market. Because up until that point, the only thing I had invested in was I got a, a brokerage account opened. And as you know, a 16, 17 year old investing, you know, I was really, it was like my investing outlook was way too short term where I'd buy something for like a day, it would go down and then I'd want to sell it, you know? And so I really liked how real estate, you kind of would make a bet and essentially run like a small business uh, and, you know, benefited, you know, kind of every way possible from tax breaks to just from inflation, pushing up the property value, paying your loan down. It made, made a ton of sense to me. So. Yeah, yeah absolutely, man. So that's awesome that you got started and you were selling, you know, armor sets in, in video games, basically as one of your first successful businesses. So I think that's really interesting the kind of how you got started and how that led into, into real estate, basically, because, you know, a lot of people might not think of that, right? And might think, oh, just people get into real estate just because, you know, they are always going to be in real estate. And that's, that's clearly not, you know, kind of what happens. Yeah. And I mean, both my parents, they were teachers. So we didn't have anyone in our family that was really in business, but, you know, they were really good about saving their money. And they talked a lot about investing where uh, my dad was real big in investing in mutual funds. So that was the first thing that I did when I started to save up my own money was I started investing in the stock market. And then, um, but really just kind of the light bulb went off. And so once I went to college, I, I'm from, from the Milwaukee area. So then I went to UW-Madison for college. And when I was a freshman, I'm like, I'm going to, I need to, I want to buy a rental property and live in it for my sophomore year. And so I did that. The first deal I bought was a duplex for about 220,000, uh, put uh 15% down on it. And then I was able to qualify for the loan because I, you know, had reported all the income from the business so that I could just point to my tax return and say, here's what I'm making for my business. Uh, you know, I would leave out the part where like, I'm not really doing that business much anymore, but it, it was there, you know, like the income to show. So got your loan approved and, um, I became a landlord. Yeah. So I bought my first deal when I was 19. Um, the, was, you know, two units, the second floor was already rented out. First floor wasn't. So then, um, I moved into that with, uh, with, uh, it was a three bedroom. So I moved into one of the bedrooms in that unit and I had two buddies lined up for it. Uh, one of them moved in and then one, one didn't, he, he had never asked his parents about it apparently. So then once he asked his parents, his dad said, no, you got to live in the dorms another year. And so I, you know, I was out of, uh, out of luck, but then I just found a random person on, uh, on Craigslist to move in. So made it worked out, worked out. Yeah. So. Just, I think that's, you know, a big piece of it as well, you know, being able to run businesses at a, at a young age, you know, when you first get into, you know, real estate, um, you know, obviously you're a lot younger than most people who get into real estate. I think you mentioned, you know, you got in your in ni 19 years old, most people get into it when they're 40. So, and that's a good example of that. So you're solving your, your ability to solve problems and your ability to, basically make things work. Like you said, finding other people, finding renters, you know, even when, you know, a renter falls through. So just kind of on that, right. So your real estate investing journey, you know, what, what were some of the things that you learned, you know, from the early business ventures that you're kind of applying when you first started getting into real estate that really kind of, you would say are some of the real key lessons there? Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but, uh, 
something that if you're any entrepreneur, especially in real estate, you would need to be resourceful. So, you know, I did not have the answers to everything about real estate investing when I started. I, you know, I knew some basics, like what I wanted to, uh, what was like my bare minimum in terms of like, I wanted to focus on having a property that was cash flow positive, like keeping it simple, understand how they're valued with a gross rent multiplier, which is how everyone was valuing the properties there. Um, but really, as you, as I like progressed, I mean, you need, you need to go find the answers. So, um, you know, where I found a realtor who was also owned some rental properties himself and had a lot of clients that were buying similar properties. Um, then from there, you know, once you close on the property, you got to figure out how to manage it. So then you, you know, then you get a book on property management. So I just, you know, I kind of did one thing at a time with the, with the real estate investing and, but kind of underneath all that was being resourceful. Um, you know, I did learn a lot about sales, uh, in this high school business where I learned a lot about sales and marketing. And I think I was able to use that when I was leasing the the properties or trying to convince somebody that I was like a serious, um, serious buyer, you know, that wasn't really a, a problem for whatever reason, where I think it's because I had, um, you know, read those books, or I, I was able to demonstrate that I, you know, was serious about this and had like a intention with what I was doing, where I'm, I'm in the dorms this year, but I want to buy before the school year's over. So I know where I'm living and move into its sophomore year. Um, so I think a lot of that applied, you know, and then really, what's important is, you know, for me, I've never done any of the, um, whatever you want to call them, like derivatives of real estate investing, like wholesaling or, um, you know, any of that kind of stuff where like this, I always kind of viewed it as this something you need to have money to invest. And then you invested in the property with a down payment. If, and then later on, I figured out if you've then invested all your money, you could go out and get investors of your own, uh, buy the property with them and get a, a, an additional share of the profits for doing all the work and finding the deal. Um, but really, yeah, that's kind of what carried forward. And I think like for anyone starting out in real estate, like you're not going to have all the answers. And you, if you wait till you do, like you're, you're never going to buy any property or do anything. So it's important just to get started and then be resourceful as you go. You're going to learn so much more just by doing anyways, that it doesn't really, I mean, honestly, you you don't, you don't need to overeducate yourself when you're starting. Cause just from reading books and stuff, you're going to learn so little compared to actually doing the deals and having properties and just learning by doing. Right. Absolutely. Just getting out there, right. Taking the action, moving forward and then learning as, you know, as you go along. So another, another interesting thing, I think, you know, kind of in your story is when you're, you know, just getting, getting started investing in real estate, the first property you ever purchased was a duplex. And clearly now, you know, your specialty in real estate investing is multifamily uh, properties. So what kind of made that you know, made, made you decide on that as opposed to, you know, like you said, not going into wholesaling or flipping or anything like that. So what, what made you choose multifamily over, you know, all the rest? Yeah. And so I guess to bring everybody like to like current day. So I, I started a company called Brenneman Capital. We have about $200 million of apartments and some commercial properties that I bought uh, uh, starting out as well. Um, and so what we do now, we, I, I invest in every deal and then we get individual investors, just high net worth folks that want to throw in money on deals and invest in real estate passively. They don't have to do any of the work. And then if it hits like a certain threshold of return, then I get an extra share of the profits. That's the, I guess the incentive, if you will, to, um, to, to have everybody along in the deal. But 
so starting out, you know, I had invested all my money uh, when I was in college. So I bought four deals and I had sort of depleted my personal money. And then I uh, wanted to learn more. So I hopped into a couple different jobs and in, in real estate investing for larger companies. And one of them was in Minnesota, um, where a coworker of mine there, just an intern, he had heard what I was doing. We met with his dad. And then uh, the three of us started buying property together. The three of us, we bought, um, this is in 2009 to 2011, this would be, we bought $25 million of commercial property in the Twin Cities, just one after another, um, really good deals, especially at the time, because we had fresh capital buying into a really difficult market where anyone who was already investing was just working out all their problems, um, you know, not too different than what might be ahead today. So if someone's a new investor, I wouldn't uh, discourage them at all today. I mean, you need to get going so you can, you know, get over that big learning curve. Um, and I was doing doing the same and getting my feet wet in bigger deals. And, um, you know, I saw what those commercial deals were like, and they're really great when they're, um, when they're running well, when they're full, you have huge cash flow, you don't have, um, you know, your operating expenses, you pass those off to the tenants. So it's really consistent when you have it full and all the tenants are paying. But we didn't have nearly the appreciation uh, that multifamily did, where the rents grew a lot slower. You know, we bought retail property, industrial, one office building, and there's just not as much uh, demand pressure on those asset classes to drive the rents up and the values. Um, and so we were getting, um, and then you lose a couple tenants in some buildings where we went a long time without losing any tenants. But when you do, it's extremely expensive to retenant the property. So that, you know, as, uh, was a real negative. Um, and also the, that availability where one thing that I like about multifamily is it's very easy to get uh, non-recourse. Uh, so loans you're not personally guaranteeing uh, on, on the property from uh, a wide variety of lenders, life insurance companies, Fannie, Freddie, HUD. And the other product types, they, they aren't able to take advantage of the agency lenders like Fannie, Freddie, and HUD. So that as the, you know, as you accumulate more properties, you know, that you start to think about like, how are these uh, deals all set up and what do the loans look like? Cause you know, for me, like sleeping at night now where I have, you know, over a hundred million dollars of loans that I'm involved in, in, in a guarantor in some capacity, but most all those are non-recourse apartment loans. So it's uh, you're sleeping well at night compared to if those were all full recourse, personally guaranteed loans, um, you know, on shopping centers where you could lose your big tenant at any minute if you know another thing like COVID hits or something and, and businesses close again so um you know i got going in multifamily mostly for that you know i think um there's a lot of other benefits too you know we went back and um we we bought some nacreef data so that's a real estate index that mirrors um the private markets as closely as possible is the idea and from 1990 to um to 2020 uh, we went back and calculated all the hold scenarios, three, five, seven, 10 years for all the major product types. And for every scenario over that uh, 30 year period, multifamily had the highest returns, except for one scenario, I think industrial was, um, was higher, but also then it also had the least uh, variation in the returns. So it was the less least risky if from that aspect out of everything as well. Um, so that we liked about it, you know, what's, you have so many different renters in there. So you don't have to deal with that scenario that I was talking about where you lose your big, you know, grocery store and your shopping center. And now you're in a, in a world of hurt where um, a lot of these commercial deals, they have co-tenancy clauses 
too, where if that grocery store would close, they, they, other businesses can pay half rent or no rent or close themselves. So you don't have that in an apartment building, you know, you might have a, in a bigger one, like a hundred different people, you know, living in there, all making money, different businesses. Uh, so I like the diversification and just it's proven out. It has the highest returns. So, you know, just kind of learn from experience. And now that's all we, all we do, just what we focus on multifamily. Awesome. Yeah. So I think a lot of people, when they think, you know, different real estate properties, right. when they think, especially when they think in the very beginning of investing in real estate, it's just single family homes. Um, I think most, most people think about uh, flipping, you know, getting into it through wholesaling, different things like that. So for somebody who's maybe a little bit newer to investing or somebody who's, you know, looking to, maybe they've done a couple flips, wholesale deals, and they're looking to kind of get into the multifamily space, what would be kind of like your advice and how, how can somebody like that get started? Um, should they be finding partners? Should they be looking to, you know, kind of do it on their own? Is there different kind of different ways to do that for somebody who's looking to get started? Yeah, I guess it depends what their skill set is. And then also too, I guess who they, who they would know. So uh, let's say, assuming you, um, if, if you had someone that you knew could be a, like a, a quality partner that is, has something that you don't, whether that's money you could invest that they could invest in the deals and you could do the work or they have experience doing it. If you know somebody like that, I think you should, you should partner up on your first few deals. One mistake that I see people making with partnerships is they oftentimes they, they set it up and it's sort of like, we're going to be partners for life, which I think in business, it's not really, um, it's not really needed in real estate where sure. If you started a business where, um, it wasn't where you're buying all these different investment properties. There's some other company, you know, you're going to start uh, just anything like, a, you know, an app or something. You you can't really like bifurcate it. You're either in it together or not. But something like this, you could say, hey, you have experience with construction. I want to buy some deals that we're going to buy and we're going to renovate. We each have money to put in. Then we're going to renovate them. Then we're going to uh, hold them long term. Um I mean, that would make sense to partner up. Now you've eliminated all the risk on the construction in this example here. Uh, but then after a while, you're going to learn about construction because you're involved in the deals. And at a certain point, it's going to, you're going to, I would think going to want to go out on your, your own completely once you've gotten over that learning curve. So um, I think partnering up is really great, but I think also what I'd recommend is people, they, they have a more of a, like a timeline on it, if you will, where they can. Uh, where we'll partner on all the deals the next couple of years, and then we'll reevaluate where there's not like this expectation where um, you're going to necessarily work together forever because you don't, you haven't worked together. You don't even know if you're going to be good together or if you'll be good real estate investors. So that'll be my advice, but you really got to assess what sort of advantages you already have. Because again, if you have, I have way different advice for someone like me who had teachers as parents or someone who's, if their parents have a, they're both doctors or have a business thrown off a bunch of cash, I'd have totally different advice what you should do. Um, where maybe at that point, you don't even you don't need a partner, you have all the advantages from your parents, essentially, at that point. So yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. It kind of is up to the individual and uh, like what position they're in at the moment to decide kind of how to move forward. And what are what is the best way to kind of structure partnerships or raise money for these deals? Because you know, you know, multifamily deals, you know, they're not they're not cheap, right? They're not they're, they're higher value deals, but obviously um, there's a benefit to that as well, as opposed to investing in just single family homes. So I think a lot of people, um, they're probably afraid of that and they don't think they can start, uh, you know, investing in real estate uh, through multifamily. 
So what would you say for somebody who might be thinking about like, they haven't done a deal in the past, but they're afraid that, you know, to get into multifamily immediately, and they think they have to kind of like get their feet wet and other types of investments first before they can move up to that? Or is that something that you think somebody can just start out doing? Um, I think they can start. Yeah, I think they can start out with it. I think you I don't think it's realistic to start out with like a 100 unit property. But you know, if you just think about it, let's say you've done no real estate. I mean, most people, they eventually buy a house. So let's say like you could you could do that. And buying like a two unit is not that different than buying a house. And then once you bought a two unit, buying a four unit becomes easy. Once you buy a four unit, buying an eight units easy and you, you can work your way up. So I'd, I'd advise people do that. I wouldn't start out with a, with a 30 unit. There'll be a lot of moving pieces and things that'll make that like a big, uh, big leap. But, you know, I'd start out with a, you know, a two to four unit because that's not going to, the financing, just a lot of the stuff's not that different. Uh, than just buying a regular house until you get above five units and the lenders change a bit. Um, and then you you just have a lot more people to deal with as in terms of the, the tenants and everything, you might need to hire somebody to help you on a bigger deal. But no, I think, I think you can do it. And I think the benefit to multifamily investing compared to the other things you're talking about, like flipping or wholesaling, like this is much more of an investment and in making money slowly. So yeah, wholesaling and flipping like that could be a great way to make money really quickly. But that's like a one-time thing. You have no tax advantages with that. You're paying ordinary income taxes. Um, you don't really, you don't have many, many things like kind of at your, uh, giving you any advantages where long-term real estate investing, you're going to benefit from paying your loan down over time. The building's going to go up in value. You get to take a, a depreciation deduction on your taxes every year where you're writing off essentially the building improvements, um, reducing what taxes you'd owe to, uh, you know, typically very little or none. Uh, depends on the deal though. Um, but you, you know, it's, it's a very different thing than let's say flipping or wholesaling. The risk is a lot lower because you're, ex you've extended your time horizon a lot. Uh, where, you know, if you, you know, wholesaling, you basically, you have to uh, get that contract to sign and flip it over to somebody in a, in a tight window. So you could just, you know, lose your earnest money or whatever you put down pretty easily in something like that, where long-term real estate investing is totally different. So it's yeah. much more safe, but it's make money slow. So compared yeah. to that. Absolutely. Yeah. So when I think of real estate investing, that's really kind of what I think, like what I think about is the, what, what's going to build wealth and passive income long-term. Because uh, if you really think about it, like flipping, it's just it's just kind of a transactional business. It's not so much. Yeah, it's investing. like a job almost. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like a job, right? It, it's some some people might say it's, it's worse than a job because you know you're working so hard, right? Yeah. You know, all all those long hours, and uh, you know you do get paid quite well on those, but again, like it's not necessarily investing, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree with that. Where that's that could just be a really high paying job, you know, and you always got to flip another one or uh, contract or house to make some money. Whereas with this, you know, I, you know, this portfolio we have built up, you know, there's 30 different properties. And, um, you know, I last time I checked 28 of them were cash flow positive. And like, I could, we could make a lot of money just sitting here doing nothing now based on the portfolio we built. So, you know, I'm still still in my 30s. So I'm not in the do nothing mode yet. But you know, whenever I'm there, like, it'll be some, you know, it could be pretty substantial. Uh, and then you'll get paid, um, you know, for a long time with it. Yep. So Absolutely. and I think maybe it'd be interesting too. you know, where I know you have, um, you know, uh, like people who maybe already invest that want to um, start raising money potentially or something. So I could kind of dive into that too, where once once you get, um, 
you know, once you've got yourself established and you've done some, some deals, you know, what I would recommend to everybody is you want to specialize. So um, that's what I've done. Where you're asking, why did I specialize in multifamily? I mean, I specialized in what I thought would be like the best investment, obviously, but that's also helped me where now the brokers, they know what we buy. Where originally, like in the first few years when we were getting into the bigger deals uh, in Minnesota, I mean, I was telling people we'd pretty much buy anything, uh, like just send it over. Let me take a look, like in a, in a certain price range. So then I was getting sent hotels and shopping centers and people didn't really know what to, um, you know, what we weren't really known for anything. And so I would recommend you that you would specialize because then the brokers will know what you're, uh, what you want. You'll actually get good at it because you're specializing where you're not trying to be a jack of all trades. Uh, you're actually going to, you know, master just one product type and then, um, and then two, then the, you'll have, the pitch is the same with investors, you know? So then the investors, when they say, why would I invest with you? Like our answer is, well, we only invest in multifamily. We only invest in, you know, three or four different markets. So we aren't trying to like, you know, be experts in everything. We're just doing one thing really well. And even in those couple, in those few markets, we only buy a certain types of properties. So, um, I mean, one of the markets we invest in is Phoenix and we were making a list of the properties like that we would we would buy. So we'll reach out to the owners and there was 500 some properties on that list only. So in terms of like, just, there's not even that many properties we would buy in that. And that's one of the, you know, a top 10 city in the country. So it's, um, once you've sort of specialized and narrowed down, like now the brokers know if it's one of those properties that call us, or if we want to start reaching out to owners, we have actual criteria, like here's the ones we'd want to go after versus just like any property, you know, in the country we buy. So Right. Absolutely. So niching down is definitely something that's really helpful on both ends, right? When it comes to acquisition of the deal and also acquiring investors to be part of the deal as well, because now you can really kind of focus your attention versus trying to, you know, maybe learn a different thing every other week, just based on what's coming across your table. So I think that's really important as well for people to kind of understand. And one of the other questions that I think a lot of people are wondering, you know, especially when somebody like yourself, you know, is talking about multifamily investing with, you know, all these different, you know, a huge portfolio, essentially, you know, what, what does it take to kind of really scale from, you know, maybe owning, you know, like you're saying in the beginning, a couple multifamily properties to maybe getting up to your first hundred unit property and how to scale that to multiple hundred unit properties and, and more. Yeah. So really what, um, I mean, the big difference at a certain point, it'll be beyond what you can do yourself. So like, then that's, um, I mean, this is kind of like a obvious answer in a way, but like where the, you know, you're where that's, that's what was, uh, we were able to go, you know, quite far where I think we had maybe, um, six properties together before we hired somebody for accounting. And then, and so really like then as you, so to scale, I think, um, one nice thing too, where, uh, depending on the, uh, and I guess, yeah, because we were, we were self-managing all that stuff ourselves and doing the bookkeeping and finding the deal. So we were we were doing everything um, starting out. And then I think this the best way to, to scale it is you um, you think of what do you what are you either the slowest at, the worst at, don't like doing and hire that first, you know, find someone who's actually like likes the bookkeeping and is really great at it. And then now that's off your plate. Um, and then pretty soon you realize, OK, now actually there's so much stuff coming in from all the properties where you got to hire a property manager and then you have that. And then pretty soon, and this is where we're at, where we've got so many different property managers sending it to us stuff. Now you need someone for them to talk to. So you need to hire a regional manager or an asset manager internally. 
Um, so we've done all that over time, but it's really, I would just, for most people, I would just, uh, actually would say, don't worry about it till you're getting to you're at that point where, you know, if you, you don't need to worry about scaling, if you haven't bought your first deal, or if you have one deal, you're a long way away from going like, wow, I have so much bookkeeping and, and stuff to do that I, I, uh, I need to start hiring a staff. So, um, you know, for me, it was just like slowly over time and then been doing this for almost 20 years now. So, you know, it's just, uh, slowly over time, uh, we just added, added people. So. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of people, they, you know, they think they can, you know, scale up and immediately that's clearly not the case, right? It's just over time kind of consistently adding based on, you know, growing, growing your rental portfolio. And, you know, as you grow one by one, you're going to add more and more pieces to that team and more and more, uh, components to that system as well. Yeah. And I think too, and this is something still that I'm, you know, learning about and working on, but like you're, you're going to develop, you know, systems and processes and improve over time and things will become easier. Um, but I think, yeah, just if you're starting out, you, you really got to just focus on finding high quality deals, uh, having those go well. And really that's, and that's still going to be your focus kind of forever. That's still my focus because in this is, it's an interesting business where, uh, we probably could scale and grow fat way faster than we are now. We just would need to push along deals that aren't as good. And then that, um, you know, isn't really like a good outcome for investors. So, so we don't do that. So it's an interesting business where it's like, you're not, um, just trying to scale at any cost. Like some of these tech companies do just to grow because yeah. they got competitors inventing a similar product or something. This is like, you need to deliver good investor returns, manage risk and have it be a good experience for them. That's how you're going to grow. It's not just about like uh, throwing out a lot of deals. So it's yeah. interesting business too, for that reason. So. Yep, absolutely. So I guess another thing I think a lot of people might, might want to know is just, you know, what are you doing now to kind of analyze, you know, analyze the deals that you have coming across your table? Because, you know, obviously we just talked a little bit here about, you know, being a little bit more selective in terms of, you know, what you guys are actually getting into. So what are you guys doing in terms of analysis? You know, are you guys looking at, you know, what market, you know, the deals in, are you guys purchasing in multiple markets? You know, what are some, what are some criteria you think, uh, you know, would actually be good to, you know, use to analyze multifamily property, whether it's a good investment or not? Yeah. Well, I mean, just kind of for what we're focused on, we have, um, for the longest time, I was only investing in the markets I lived in. So I lived in the twin cities and then I moved to Chicago and most of the deals that I've done to date have been in those markets, but I've saw so much more growth in the Sun Belt that um, you could have bought like any deal in Texas or Arizona or Florida, and um, outperformed the the deals that were probably done in Chicago, where we have great returns. Where our, our average deal, I think that we sold, it's a twenty five percent IRR um, on average. But it's like in those states, you could have probably bought anything and made that kind of money. So we we in like at the tail end of COVID, I was sort of reevaluating like where should we be buying? What kind of stuff should we be buying? So when you're when you're bigger, it makes sense to potentially like, okay, I'm gonna pick a market that I don't live in and we'll eventually hire people there and and, and grow it. Um, but if you're so that's what we've done. So we focus in Phoenix, Dallas, Texas, and Austin, Texas. That's really where we're buying these days. Um but if you're if you're an individual investor getting started, I wouldn't recommend doing that. I would recommend doing what I did and buy close to home. You know what the areas are are like. There's no learning curve. If you're from Chicago, you know where 
the good areas are, where the tough areas are. Um, you know what rents should be because you're probably, you know, we're a renter here at some point and you have a, uh, a good handle on, you know, where people want to go for fun. And so I would, um, depends where, where you're at maybe in your career, but you know, if you're talking starting out, yeah, definitely stay close to home. Cause you understand it. I mean, there's going to be good deals everywhere. Um, but for us, we've, we've ex trying to pick like the best markets first now, and then, um, and then pick deals from there. And so the deals we're trying to buy now today, uh, really there's two types. Um, and I think you could copy this playbook. I just on, uh, you know, on a, a smaller scale, if you're new, uh, too. So we're buying buildings that were built, uh, uh, from 1980 or newer, um, typically between five and 50 million is the size we're looking. And then from there, we're really just looking for two types of, uh, deal profiles, like something that, um, doesn't need any renovation, but maybe the rents are low or we need to assume a loan or something it has like a little bit of hair on it where we can buy it at, at a really good price. Uh, those make a lot of sense from a risk reward standpoint where you're taking on not that much risk, but you're getting a higher return than just buying like your average, you know, deal, let's say that had the rents already at market or wasn't selling a little bit cheaper because you had to assume someone's loan. And then the other ones are ones that need renovations where same thing, maybe it was built in 1985 and it looks like it, you know, everything's, you know, brown inside and looks old and has carpeting. And so then we go in, we rip all that out, add in unit laundry, turn it to a more modern color scheme with vinyl flooring and quartz counters and um, do that whole thing, redo the clubhouse, paint the outside, redo the landscaping. So like though, that's really just all we do. Uh, and so then that's, uh, you know, I'd recommend people follow something something similar uh, in their investing, yeah. you know, cause you get into like older buildings and you're going to run into problems. Um, you know, we, we deviated from that a little, we bought something in the 1960s in Phoenix and we're dealing, we got a, a broken sewer stack uh, running up five units that we're dealing with today. So, um, you know, where if that was a 1980s building, you know, they would have maybe used different piping or it would have been, you know, a lot newer holding up better. So. These are all great tips, I think, for, you know, any listeners looking to get into multifamily or looking to scale up their multifamily rental portfolios as well. So, and I think you brought up a really good point there, which is, you know, some of the things that you're looking for in terms of, you know, what type of properties you're looking to buy, but also what the problem you're solving for the seller as well. Because I think that's a big piece of it, right? When it comes to acquisition of property is, you know, why will somebody sell you their home or not their home, but like, why will somebody sell you their, their multifamily property, which is probably an investment for them as well. And, you know, how you're getting into these conversations directly with sellers. I think that's going to be a really important thing. So I don't know if you could, you know, maybe mind digging into that a little bit, you know, what problems you're really looking for, how you're able to identify that and how you're able to get into that conversation with them. Yeah. We haven't done really much of the, uh, maybe what I see like single family home buyers do where you're looking for those overgrown lawns and the, you know, foreclosure listings and whatnot, really most of our deals, they've, um, they've came through brokers, but been off market. So like the, uh, multifamily investing world is really like a, it's kind of like a small community, uh, in each city where there's not that many buyers. I mean, there are, uh, there are many, but it might just be, it might be like, a, uh, I don't know, 200 in Chicago, let's say that are really like, you're going to buy a property over 5 million or something. I don't know the number a broker would, but there's not that many. So then um, you just want to 
behave in a way where you become top of mind for them. So you tell them what you want to buy, you respond to the brokers when they call you, uh, you don't retrade the de the deals over small stuff. So a retrade is, let's say, um, you find an issue with the property and then you ask for the price to be lowered. So like we, we already, you know, we are, we're experienced buyers. Like we know there's going to be a problem at the property. So any property we buy, we're already assuming, even if it was a brand new building that needs some sort of repair work, something I bought new buildings and every time, like something's not finished or there's a leak somewhere and you need to uh, put money into every building. So I'm never buying a building and saying, Oh, this building's built in 1985. I had no idea this would be old. Like, yeah, I, I figured it was going to be, you know, exactly, you know, whatever, 37 and a half years, whatever it would be right now. Like that, I just know exactly how old that would be. Um, so the only time we've ever asked for a retrade is if it's basically we're told something and it's different. If you tell us we we got a brand new roof up here and this literally happened on a deal and you go up there and it's like 20 years old falling apart. Yeah, sure. Then that makes sense because then you could tell them, well, you told me it was new. So then when I ran all my numbers, I assumed we didn't need to put a dime in the roof and said we got to spend a hundred grand now. So I would say, um, like, follow those tips with dealing with the bro with, you know, interacting with the brokers. And um, that'll go a long way because they just want to have the deals go smoothly. You know, they that's their number one thing. So then if you're known as a closer, you're going to get sent a lot more deals. And actually 80% of the deals um, that, that I've bought have been off market, uh, but, or through a broker, uh, like off market uh, through a broker, let's say, or a repeat seller where um, we, I've only bought, I think two buildings where it was truly direct. One time I called my neighbor and bought his building in another time, but like it was mostly it's through a broker where they know um, this is the kind of deal I do. Like in 2020, I did three loan assumption deals where usually people don't want to touch those because they're, they're a lot of work and then you don't get a, uh, um, you don't get to put a new loan on it. Um, but those, they, they knew I did those types of loans already. So they called me and then, you know, if the price is right, I'll assume it. And, and they, I made it, made it work. And it's kind of funny in retrospect, we were getting uh, big discounts because we're assuming these really high uh, interest rate loans in the fours at the time, because, you know, it was, rates were in the threes. So nobody, um, it was in, and in commercial property too, you can't just pay off your loan typically without a fee, you know, in like a, a single family home or a one to four unit kind of loan, those you can, you know, prepay with no fee. But in commercial property, there's usually a prepay fee. And depending on how you structure the loan, it could be anywhere between 1%. And uh, if you opt to do a yield maintenance prepay, like back then in 2020, it was like 20% to get out of the loan. So those that's why they, they needed someone to assume it or they weren't going to sell. So right. yeah, these are all really great tips in terms of like how to get into, you know, multifamily deals and acquisitions. I think, you know, a lot of people, they don't know how to get started or don't know where to look for them. But like, you know, just networking, like you said, you know, being being that closer, right? Knowing having the uh, the broker that's working for you know that you can close on these deals that you're not going to kind of you know undercut them or even you know undercut them out of the deal or anything like that. Just kind of staying that being that consistent closer. That's how you build that reputation for people to bring deals to you. Actually, yeah, and you really need to think long term about every aspect of this on how you approach your deals how you approach treating other people like that will get you that's gotten me really far where I'm always thinking long term where I, in this thing, I never crossed my mind to say, like, don't cut the broker out because I would not 
ever do that. I want the broker to be happy because I want him to send me more deals. Like I don't need to cut them out over a few thousand bucks. I'd rather have them happy with how it's going and send me another deal. Right. Absolutely. Just long-term thinking. And and that's, that's, you know, that's how you get to, you know, your, your success, right? How do you build a a big successful rental portfolio, uh, multifamily or or otherwise? So, yeah. Yeah. So I I really appreciate you being on the show today and uh, kind of sharing your value and your knowledge with us. Uh, So for anybody who is listening to this, who want to learn more about what you do, who want to get more information, maybe listen to your podcast as well, what are some of the best ways people can reach out to you or follow you on social media? Or what, what do you think people can, can find you at? Yeah. If you want to learn more about our company and potentially invest in our deals, go over to Brenneman.com. So that's B as in boy, R-E-N-E-M-A-N.com. And then you can learn about our company and sign up to be on our investor list uh, where we send out all the potential opportunities to invest uh, to our list only. And then, yeah, I also have a podcast. Thanks for mentioning that. It's called the Brenneman Blueprint. And we talk about real estate investing, um, but just really more sort of, um, I mean, the podcast started out where I was more or less having all my, the people I worked with and my my friends on uh, for the most part, you know, where they, cause they were all doing similar stuff. Like you start networking where, yeah, I have 200 million of property, but I have my, one of my better friends is 800. You know, so I have him on and ask him, how's, how did he do that? And it's interesting hearing their stories. I mean, his answer was he basically worked two jobs for like 20 years to get, um, everything built up but so uh that's called the brenneman blueprint and then that's on every everywhere you can get your podcast spotify apple uh we also do it in video so it's on youtube as well uh and then for brenneman blueprint we post clips on uh really i think every social media channel and if you want to follow me uh, i'm at drew brenneman on everything twitter and instagram and linkedin wherever so Nice. Yeah. So we'll make sure to leave the links in the description uh, down below. So make sure everybody can get to it. But I want to thank you again, Drew, for being on the show. And before I let you sign off here, is there any last tips, last uh, valuable pieces of advice you want to leave with the audience here? Well, one thing that I think, um, you know, is really important and we didn't talk about is just your, your mindset, you know? So one thing that uh, I see people where they're, they're not sure they can do it. Uh, you know, and I think there was that saying, like, if you think you can, or you think you can't, you're right, or something to that effect. And I just, for whatever reason, I always thought I could do it. You know, I never, um, where I was never like top of my class or anything, or, you know, uh, but it was, you know, I wasn't at, you know, towards the top, but not at the top or anything. But I would see these people that they, they did it and they didn't seem any, uh, you know, they didn't seem any smarter than me or anything. They just took a risk and put in the work. So, you know, whatever you're thinking, like you can do it too. You know, everyone eventually buys a house, uh, you know, so it's not too big of a leap to buy like a two or three unit. Then once you've made that step, you know, buying the next one up, is it just starts just baby step it up, um, or you know, so to speak, and, and you'll be able to do it too. So a lot of it's just between your ears on being able to do it or not. So, yeah, absolutely. That's a great piece of advice. I think everybody should uh, take that and uh, start applying it. If you think you can, if you think you can't, either way, you're right. So Drew, I want to thank you again for, uh, for hopping on here, being on the, uh, on the podcast and uh, for our listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in and uh, we'll see you guys on the next show. Take care. Thank you.